0: Is it warming up any? Not really. Not really? Oh boy. Okay. So I preached on fire and brimstone to warm us up. (laughs) Just kidding. Right. For those of you who were here this morning, you saw me, or heard me rather, talking about the holiness of God. And you'll remember Isaiah's exclamation at the vision that he had was, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. In other words, he became quite ashamed of himself, of his sins. It reminded me actually of uh, Peter when uh, you remember Jesus asked to borrow his boat. I think it's in uh, Luke chapter 5 because he wanted to preach to the crowd. And the boys have been fishing all night, and um, Jesus, in return for using the boat for preaching, says, uh, "Go out and lay down your catch, lay down your nets for a catch." We fished all night, but as uh, you say, so we'll do it. And you know the story. <laughs> it was way more than they can handle. They had to call in their buddies, and uh, both boats were beginning to sink and. Peter's reaction was, get away from me, Lord, I'm a a sinful man. So something, correlation there between encountering the holy, it shows up something of our own sinfulness. In Isaiah's case, it was a call from the altar. We don't know what was going on. Was he physically there or was it in his head? I don't know. Do you know? Nobody knows. But anyway, it was an angel that came, took a call from the altar, touched his lips, and the uh, angel said, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So that was Isaiah. But in Peter's case, with Jesus, the Holy One, he asked him to follow him. Peter's change of heart and character would happen gradually over time as he followed in his master's footsteps, and that's kind of where I want to go tonight because we're more likely to have the experience of Peter than we are of Isaiah with angels and coal and all that. This morning I specifically mentioned how Jesus had raised the bar extremely high when he says, "'Be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect.'" But he wasn't setting us as an impossible standard. Extraordinary as that sounds. He was giving us the destination of our souls. Another way to look at it, there's no sin or sinning in heaven. I hate to break the news, but that's the truth. Paul says, not me, same Apostle Paul, we will be like Christ Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When Christ who is your life, I just want to note that, your life is him, is your life, then you also will appear with him in glory. In other words, there's not going to be any difference in the the the, the life, you might say. It's the life of Christ that's in us that will appear with him, if that makes sense to you. Well, how does it work? Well, 2 Corinthians three eighteen says, And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So there you go. It's a process transformed, being transformed into the same image. What image is that? It's Jesus himself from one degree of glory to another. In other words, the Holy Spirit is at work 24-7. He never takes time off. Doing a transforming work in us, making us holy. In Romans 8... Paul talks about our life in the Spirit. Notice that God works, as we read, all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I don't know about you, but I've wondered this. Have you wonder why Paul's life, for example, had to be as hard as it was? I mean, really, you read that guy's life story, and it was hard. It was really hard. Shipwrecked how many times was he? Beaten up so many times, deserted, you know, starved and betrayed and my goodness. The list goes on and on and on. This is a human way of looking at things. Why, if God was wanting him to spread the gospel, didn't he make it up just a wee bit easier? Scatter the demons before him, so to speak. Give him a couple of tough angels as bodyguards. Out of the way, make way for this guy. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. See, Paul was following in the footsteps of the master, which was Jesus. And Jesus didn't have any tough angels scattering the crowd either. In fact, Jesus came, as we know, to lay down his life, and it was for us, and it was all sacrifice. It was all laying down of his life, and he had to put up with all that he put up with in order to redeem the world. And we are called, and Paul was, to follow him. We're going to find out a bit more about that later on. So in answer, why did God... Not make any well, the answer's complicated, but at least one part of it one just one part of it was for paul's growth. Our faith is tested not when things are going swimmingly, but when we're at the end of a rope. God is not the author of evil he's often accused of that. do you notice that you know well why does he do these things that isn't he even says, I think, in insurance policy act of God. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't, he's not the author of evil. He isn't. He doesn't make people do evil, but, but, and this is important, he never misses an opportunity to use whatever might befall us to help our faith develop muscles. Has anyone else noticed that? He never misses a, an opportunity to help our faith to grow. Now speaking personally, I, although I love God and believed in the gospel, can even do a bit of preaching, it wasn't until I was at the end of my rope that my faith in God and in the truth was really tested. When he is all you have, when the world falls out from beneath your feet, then you discover in cold, dark nights that Jesus is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's to be found in Proverbs 18.24. We learn more going through those kind of situations, well, that's this is mine I'm talking about, but everyone's going to go through similar circumstances. You'll more, learn more about yourself and more about Jesus than going to a million Bible studies. You're getting that first-hand, first-hand experience, and that's priceless because that, you can count on that. It's not a theory to you. It's not a hypothetical. It's an actuality for you. Peter teaches the same thing. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. See the correlation there is that we are invited to participate in Christ's sufferings, so that we may also participate in His glory when it's revealed. I say this. I, I just. I didn't write this down, but I just want to take an aside. I was in North America for a number of years. I actually here been in Montrose. I had quite a few North Americans in my church, and. <laughs> The story is coming to mind of a Californian lady, because I was talking about uh, the the pain and the the suffering and going on. That that's part and parcel of the Christian life, and uh, the North Americans have this idea that Jesus paid it all. You know, when he went through, he did it so that we don't have to. So this, this Californian lady, kind of misquoting around uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. She said, uh, "No pain, no pain." <laughs> Not that that's no pain, no gain, but yeah, there's nothing. Um, that's a naive understanding of the gospel. I said, there is pain, there is suffering, and if you if you've got that mindset, that well, why are these why are all these bad things happening to me or whatever. Don't I deserve something better to go on in my life than this? After all, Jesus is my Lord. Maybe it's be Christly because Jesus is your Lord that you're going to go through what you're going to go through in order, because this is part of that transforming process, that being transformed by the renewing of your life, your mind, and allowing His very, very essence to make its way into every cell of your being. That's how, it, that's how it works, that's how he does it. So reading again, do not be distressed surprised at the fiery trial, when it comes upon to a point where test tests you as though something strange were. It's nothing strange about it. It's part of the process. You know, think about nature for a second. I like watching nature programmes. Nature itself testifies that this is true. The tallest tree needs the deepest roots, and the way that they grow stronger roots is they're exposed to uh strong winds and adverse weather conditions. That's how they get stronger. I think they did a test. I'm, I can't remember where I read this or heard this. You know, there was a space program. The what do they call it? The Space Station, International Space Station. They were wanting to run an experiment. Before they did it up there, they did it down here, of growing trees to see if they could grow trees in the moon or something like this, you know. But they put them in a protective environment as if it was the moon, and they grew these trees. And they were useless because they weren't exposed to any hardships whatsoever. They just had no strength, had no roots, they were That's not what nature is about. And the lion, if it's going to eat, has to be faster than its slowest prey. All animals need to be tough enough to survive winter conditions. Survival of the fittest, that may be a Darwinian line—but but it is indeed built into all of nature. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. If anyone would come after me. We're all assigned a cross, and you'll, you'll hear even secular people say things like, we all have our crosses to bear. heard that, not you? Or, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Those expressions. It's kind of principles, but they work in the spiritual life as well as elsewhere. Incidentally, we don't get to choose our cross. We don't get to go to a demon somewhere and say, oh, that one looks comfortable or that one. It's, it falls on us, it just happens. They come. They might be ill hells. They might be any number of things. You don't go looking for it. It'll find you. And we just need to know how to deal with it when it comes. Not if it will. When it comes. We're destined to be with Jesus for all eternity. We're destined to share in his glory. We are destined to be holy. Because he is holy. But don't think he's asking you to do this on your own. Don't even try. Don't even try without him. (laughs) Believe me. Don't even try without him. Learn to live in his presence all day, every day, and he will do the transforming work. Now, how do you do that? The relationship with, with Jesus Christ is just that, it's love. He said, never will I leave you, nor forsake you. He's always there. He's always present. It's us that check in, check out, check in, check out, you know. But he's all, he doesn't do that. He's always there. What does it say something about uh, when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he can't disown himself? That's a marital term, by the way. Oneness. Can't disown himself. One with us. The book of Revelation, I'm not going to go through all these. I was going to, but not now. Uh, If you know your book of Revelation, what's the one thing that Jesus seems to say uh, towards the end of all the different churches? To him who overcomes, he gives things. To him who overcomes, overcoming, overcoming, overcoming. Overcoming what? Overcoming all the obstacles Everything that life chucks at us, overcoming and staying faithful, staying true, staying the course, at the end of the day, you get the well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah. Last thoughts. Love is the answer. Now, I talked about the terrifying thing of holiness this morning. And it is. <laughs> But God is love. And really love and holiness are together. You can't separate one from the other. And I think that's the biggest mistake that the world makes today. It talks about love is love. You know? Yeah, but love is holy. You can't take holiness away from love. Love and holiness belong together. So if you're going to talk about that, you have to bring in the holiness of God which doesn't have a sin element to it. Our love for him and his love for us is what pr- provides the glue keeping us together. It's a bond so strong it will carry us through even the darkest of nights. I'm going to read something to you that uh, providentially came to me at uh, the most difficult of my particular uh, season of my life. And I got it from my dad, uh, well, not directly, but uh, my brother brought it. uh, It was in one of his holy books. And he said, you need this. I thought, man, really? It's called There is a Reason, Author Unknown. For every pain that we must bear For every burden, every care, there is a reason. For every grief that bows the head, for every teardrop that is shed, there is a reason. For every hurt, for every plight, for every lonely, pain-wracked night, there is a reason. But if we trust God as we should, It all will work out for our good. He knows the reason. That was bang on what I knew at that time. I hope it's helped you. I want to read to you just this. It's called a doxology, actually. It's uh, taken from Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him, and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.